Colossians chapter 2. Then on page 81, in the back of the blue hymnal, is our confession article tonight. We looked at, considered the first two verses of this passage last week, and we're going to use this passage once again next week, 6 through 23, because it's a, it's a good way, the kind of false teaching that Paul is addressing in Colossians actually fits perfectly with articles 25 and 26 next week as well, dealing with the intercession of Christ and how Christ is the only one who can intercede for us before God. And that is, is a good corrective that we learn in Colossians here, particularly in this passage, But it also deals with the abolishing of the ceremonial law, which is tonight's article. Uh, So Colossians 2, verses 6, all the way through the end of the chapter, uh, will be what we read this evening. God's holy word. Let us give our attention to his reading. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, You were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code With its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow." Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belonged to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. 
their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. Article 25, page 81. The abolishing of the ceremonial law. Here's the subject we'll consider tonight. We believe that the ceremonies and symbols of the law ceased at the coming of Christ and that all the shadows are accomplished so that the use of them must be abolished among Christians. Yet the truth and substance of them remain with us in Jesus Christ in whom they have their their completion. In the meantime, we still use the testimonies taken out of the law and the prophets to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and to regulate our life in all honorableness to the glory of God according to his will. J.I. Packer once said in a bit of a mocking way, the newer is the truer, only what is recent is decent. Every shift of ground is a step forward, and every latest word must be hailed as the last word on its subject. It's a bit of the spirit of the age. When something new comes along, then that is sort of assumed to be the thing that is right. C.S. Lewis called this chronological snobbery, looking back into the past, sort of with your nose up, assuming that we have all of the right answers because we are further along in time. Out with the old, in with the new. The new things that we think up are better, new technologies, new ways to learn math, new ways to connect with each other, even, sadly, new ways to worship God. But The Christian worldview has a hesitancy with the new, a suspicion of the new. We believe that there is nobility in what we inherit from our ancestors, from our forefathers. And the humility and prudence that's commanded of Christians, commanded to have humility with what we know and what we understand, and, and prudence with the way that we uh, that with the way that we evaluate things means that we must be hesitant to throw our support to something just because it is new. And just because it is new doesn't mean that we should support it. When it comes to the law of God, we need to understand that there is a precise way that we must think about this issue. The law of God, in terms of its moral commands, so morally right and morally wrong, does not ever change. The moral law of God never changes. What was right and what was wrong at creation of the, of the creation of the world is still so. This is why Paul can appeal to the Ten Commandments in the book of Romans. And he can assume that these commandments are binding upon Christians. But Paul says the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul's assumption there is that these are commandments that bind us, right? they're commandments that came from God. Jesus, of course, said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. This means that the law will have abiding use and relevance for us. 
But the word the law can also mean broadly the arrangement between God and the people of Israel in the Old Testament. That which regulated their civil life, so their their community life. We call that the, the civic law, the civil law. And that has perished, that has gone away. We're not bound to live exactly in the ways that are described in Leviticus and Deuteronomy regarding the community. There are even ways, how do you you grow your crops? How do you pull in the harvest? Regulations for all of those things, that has abolished. But we also say that how their worship was regulated in the tabernacle and in the temple, that is called the ceremonial law teaching them how they are to approach God, and we say that that has been abolished as well. In Christ, it's been fulfilled. It's no longer binding on us. Hebrews calls this the Old Covenant. That's what the book of Hebrews means when it says the Old Covenant, that uh, the ceremonial law under Moses that guided them in their worship. So we're no longer obligated to obey these regulations Uh, that we find in scripture. But we are, of course, bound to obey God's moral commands just because we don't worship in the same way that God's people did under the old covenant. We no longer perform sacrifices. We no longer deal with the clean and unclean distinctions of food or various materials. And this is all because this ceremonial law has been abolished in Christ. Jesus has accomplished them. He's accomplished them very simply because we say that he has perfected for us the way that we approach God. How we approach God as Christians is perfected in Christ. And thus we come to God in him and in him alone. That will have relevance for us again next week as we consider the the intercessor, Jesus Christ, the only intercessor, as we think of historically the way that the church has thought about saints and angels and other mediators. So it has relevance for us there. But tonight, we think of in terms of the ceremonial law. Christ has perfected the way that we approach God. So we have to say and understand that God and his law never change. His moral commands never change. And so when we think tonight about the ceremonial law, we think about how it's passing away, we think, or or it has passed away, and the way that Paul says some things, you, you might look at that and say, it sounds funny. Understand that Paul is looking at a false teaching in Colossae. And he's, saying, and he's evaluating it in the sense that they are saying that the ceremonial law or these aspects of the Mosaic law still need to be obeyed by Christians. So we do not disregard it completely as our confession says. We don't forget about it because of what has been fulfilled in Christ. Rather, we use it, as the confession says, to confirm the doctrine of the gospel and to regulate our lives. This is divinely inspired scripture. All of the Bible has been given to us for our good. And so it confirms the doctrine of the gospel and it regulates our lives unto the glory of God. But we need to see the ways in which it has been accomplished and abolished in Christ. So those are those will be the first two points. Accomplished first and then abolished. Have this interesting phrase that Paul deals with in Colossians chapter 2. You may want to keep your Bible open in front of you. I'll be referencing various verses. Look at verse 8 and then verses 11 through 14 in this first point. This interesting phrase that's the basic 
principles of the world, as Paul says. The basic principles of the world in verse 8. And really what that is, it's the fundamental arrangement between man and God. What do I mean by that? If you go back to creation, if you go, go back to the Garden of Eden, fundamentally, what is the way that man and God were to commune together? Well, they communed together as man was to reflect the holiness of God, to reflect God's character as the image of God. And man and God would then commune as man rightly and obediently reflected uh, the righteousness and holiness of God. That, That basic principles of the world is that fundamental arrangement. And we can see that kind of instinct in the law of Moses. You can see it in various other world religions. You can see it in our own hearts as we constantly are brought back again and again to forget about the gospel of Christ and to think about our standing before God being based upon what we do. But in Colossians, Paul is addressing this false teaching that has seeped into the church And basically, there are two main components. The first is that these false teachers were telling people that they need to worship mediators other than Jesus, like angels. And secondly, there are elements of the Jewish Old Covenant law, circumcision and the ceremonial law, that needed to be obeyed. Paul says that this false teaching is according to human tradition. It's not according to God. It's according to human tradition and the basic principles of the world. Now again, Paul is looking back and he has the utmost respect for the Old Testament, for the Old Covenant. The reason he says it's based on human tradition is because he's saying they're ripping it out of its proper context. And after the fulfillment has come, Jesus Christ has come. He has fulfilled all of these things. And therefore, they no longer need to be submitted to. But the fact that, that, that this teaching would seep in is because of human tradition. And Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. The basic principles of the world, as I said earlier, it is essentially works salvation. It is achieving righteousness. It is accomplishing righteousness before God on our own. As I mentioned, this was basically the arrangement in Eden. Adam was created by God to worship him, to glorify him, and to serve him. The simple arrangement, the Garden of Eden, if you think about it, was do this and live. God said to Adam, do this and live. Obey me and I will give you life. Obey me and I will give you eternal blessing. That's the basic principles of this world, this cosmic arrangement between creator and creature. But it's also found in man-made religion. You look at man-made religion, and what is it? It is works-based righteousness. It's because in the heart of man, we read about this in Romans chapter 1, in the heart of man, God has made his existence and his holiness plain to mankind. Romans 1 verse 19. What can be known about God is plain to them, that is unbelievers, that is those who rebel against God, because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There Paul is saying that God shows himself clearly in the things of this world. It's a good thing to keep in your own mind as you, if you ever dialogue with people about the Christian faith, about the existence of God. When they say that they don't believe in God or that God has not shown himself adequately to them, what are they doing? They're suppressing the truth. God has made it clear. He's made it plain. Can you have an intelligible world? Can you have a world that can be understood the way ours can if it has not been created by an intelligent divine creator? These basic principles, though, are ingrained in all of us. And so that that operative principle... In all the man-made religions of this world, all the false religions of this world, there's this instinct that man needs to serve or satiate the wrath of some kind of deity. And you see that thread woven throughout the man-made religions. We, there is something inferior in us, and we need to look to a superior being and make him happy somehow. And all of the answers are basically grasping in the dark. But Paul is connecting these threads to show the danger of the Colossian heresy. To show how dangerous it is that this false teaching has crept in. This instinct that we owe somebody something in the time that we have here on earth. And so Paul says that the false teachers in Colossae are submitting to the basic principles of this world. And Christ and the gospel are a different arrangement altogether. Paul says they are doing this rather than submitting to Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 6, As you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. We talked about this last week. Don't forget the gospel. Always be walking in step with the gospel. Always understand every day of your life, I'm a sinner, I'm trusting in Christ for my righteousness. Even though my sins have all been forgiven, I'm not establishing myself before God now on my own. It is by his grace. It is by Christ. And this is what we need to know. See, in Jesus, the requirements that are embedded in the basic principles of this world, this is what I mean by that. That you are created by God, that you owe him service and obedience, absolute, perfect, unwavering, unflinching righteousness. That is what all of us owe to God. That has been accomplished for us in Christ. Christ himself, as the second Adam, he is the one who has fulfilled that. And that is why in the gospel, we say the righteousness of God or the righteousness of Christ is given to us. And that is why it is so important. Because the fundamental requirement that God places on the human race is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, don't leave that. Don't abandon that. Because if you want to go back to this arrangement of submitting to the law again, you're going to find that it is not the kind of arrangement you would want at all. Something fascinating about this passage is that Paul connects this idea, the basic principles of the world and the ceremonial law of the Mosaic Covenant. This is found in verses 20 and 21. He says this, Since you died with Christ... 
to the basic principles of this world. There you see that phrase again. Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are references to the clean and unclean dietary restrictions of the Mosaic Law. All of those Old Testament laws, right? You can't eat two different animal products or two different products from the same animal on the same dish, right? That's why Jewish people can't have a cheeseburger because it's beef and cheese, both from a cow. All of those clean and unclean laws that Paul is saying to submit back to that is to submit once again to the basic principles of this world. And this is something you need to understand as well. The old covenant And all of these ceremonial laws regulating their approach to God, the tabernacle and the temple, all of the regulations, all of the rules they had to follow, what was it showing them? What does it show us? It's showing us, it showed them, the wide chasm between God and sinful man. It showed that's simply, you break it down, that's what it's showing. It's showing them the seriousness of sin and what it means to actually try and approach God as sinful human beings. Now, understand and know, right? When we look back, we see a unity of God's redemptive plan. People are always saved by grace. They're always saved through faith. But this was a temporary allotment through God's covenantal workings, through which he would bring the Messiah out of the, the, the Israelites to be the savior of the world. And through that arrangement, we would see the glory of Christ. We would see how important it is that we have someone who fulfills this, who abolishes it. Paul's saying, if you you miss that, if you go, how can you want to go back to it? It's been fulfilled in Jesus. So he says, why do you submit back to these elemental, these basic principles of the world? Galatians chapter 3 talks about why it is that the law was given, or the ceremonial law, the tabernacle and temple worship that is. Paul says, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. It was a guardian that led us to Christ. It was a tutor. That that, that word there is like a teacher or even like a, a nanny. You know, an an au pair, someone who comes to the house, watches the kids, raises the kids for wealthy families. The law was our tutor, our nanny that leads us to Jesus Christ. Now, what's fascinating is Paul can still say in Galatians, Abraham justified by faith. He believed in the promises of God, and that is why he was righteous. Then you go from Abraham into Moses, and in the Mosaic time, people are still saved by grace through faith. But they have this covenantal arrangement that shows the wide chasm between God and sinful man. And it brings to the fore the need for someone who would be perfectly righteous, who would fulfill all of these things. Because there's this constant reminder with all of these rules and all of these regulations, this clean and unclean, you can't come back for seven more days because this happened or that happened. Like what in this morning when Peter slices off the ear of Malchus. If Jesus had not healed it right there on the spot, Malchus would not have been able to enter the temple for a set period of time, go through all this purification. It shows us the need uh, to have Jesus fulfill all of this for us. 
The book of Leviticus is really a a long commentary on this. The problem of sin, how unclean we are before God, and if we are to approach a holy God, what we would need to go through. So we read in Leviticus chapter 20, you shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. This vast complex of rules and regulations. It was because God had called them to be set apart, to be holy. So they have this massive uh, set of rules and regulations. Circumcision was a part of that. And it was really this, this foundational, fundamental picture of it. Of the holiness that God was requiring of his people. So you see in the false teaching all throughout the New Testament. That one of the, 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 the fundamental things that they demand of people. Whether in Galatians or in Colossians. They're saying you need to submit to circumcision. You Gentiles need to have the males among you circumcised. It was this picture of what we needed to be. Cutting away of the sinful flesh. And being holy and clean before our God. But it has been fulfilled in Christ. And that is what we see in verses 11 through 14. In uh, verse 11, the essential idea is you do not need circumcision of the flesh because you have received circumcision of the heart. You have received its fulfillment in Christ by faith and in the gospel. Colossians 2 verse 11 says this. In him... You were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. You see, the thinking of the basic principles of this world in that we need to achieve righteousness before God, it would say what you need to do is have the outward sign of circumcision. Paul says, no, you've already received it in Christ because you've been given absolute, perfect, perpetual holiness and righteousness By grace, through faith. Paul points to the superiority of Christ's circumcision. He says it is by the Spirit, made not with hands. It's something done not with hands. It's by the Spirit. That's the character of it. It's a spiritual, a spiritual cutting away of the sinful flesh. Secondly, it goes to the depths of our hearts. It's not just outward. Remember last week when we talked about sanctification. How does sanctification begin? How do we understand it? It is something that is spiritual. It's not just outward conformity. It's not just outwardly obeying rules. It goes to the depths of our hearts. We love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not just with our strength. Not just with our bodies. We serve God body and soul. And this renewal that comes through Christ is something that is spiritual as well as, or, or it goes to the depths of our hearts. It is a spiritual reality. And then finally, it has Christ as its author. It's a circumcision of Christ founded upon his work for us. Paul says, you do not need circumcision of the flesh. You have received circumcision of the heart. This was an aspect of the ceremonial law. It's been completed and fulfilled in Christ. Verse 12, the gospel unites us by faith with the one who died for sin and was raised to new life. Good verses 12 and 13. We have been buried with him in baptism 
and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. What Paul is saying there is that Christ satisfies all that stands against us. Nobody likes getting bills in the mail, right? Well, maybe you do. I don't. I don't like getting bills in the mail. And uh, you, you open it up and you see, you see the bill that stands against you. The basic principles of the world, the mosaic ceremonial law, man-made religion, anything that would have an idea that you need to achieve your righteousness before God, the demands that it places upon you, there would be a bill connected to that. Here's what you have to pay. Right, uh, the Muslim worldview is... At the, at the last day, your good, we, your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds. Right? It's going to be a simple balance of a scale. Which do you have more of, good deeds or bad deeds? And that's really the way that many people think about their life before God. Well, I don't really know if there's a God out there. If there is, I think that ultimately he'll look at what I did on, uh, if I ever stand before him. And do I have more good deeds than bad deeds? The Mosaic ceremonial law is much more involved. There was a bill that stood against The people of God, because of that, because they still kept coming to God in their sinfulness and in their imperfections, Paul says that bill has been written off in Jesus. He's taken that debt upon himself. He has accomplished it. He has paid that outstanding bill. So the implication of all of this is that it is abolished. It's abolished. This is our second idea. Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. The ceremonial law was a set of demands that regulated God's people in their approach to God. Tabernacle and temple worship. The gospel is that Christ has met those demands for us so that we might approach God by faith. Verse 16 is a a key for us. It's here Paul zooms in on the Jewish ceremonial law. The ceremonial law consisted of observing various feasts and days uh, that regulated how they would approach. Therefore, Paul says, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. When Paul says religious festivals, he's talking about the annual feasts, the ones that come around once a year, like Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, or Passover. When Paul says new moon, he's talking about monthly feasts, those things that would come along once a month that regulated how they approach God. And when he says Sabbath, he's saying their weekly day to approach God. There were annual things, there were monthly things, and then there was the weekly way that they had to approach God on their Sabbath, Saturday, the seventh day, which was connected to all of the ceremonial laws that they had to do. Were they clean or were they unclean? Were they in the midst of a seven-day purification? If they were, they couldn't go to the temple. Or they couldn't go to the synagogue or tabernacle, whatever stage they were in. The, all of these things, Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you regarding any of those things. Because the annual feasts, the monthly feasts, and the seventh-day Sabbath have all been fulfilled in Christ. And if you come to God by faith in him, you are welcome to come before God. No matter what you have eaten, no matter what kind of material you are wearing in your clothes, regarding to what the Old Testament ceremonial law says, Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you for that. 
we should perhaps mention what so what of the 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 Christian Sabbath the Lord's Day Sabbath on the first day of the week some people go to this passage and say because of this there no longer is a Sabbath at all right there's no special day for the Christian on which they need to worship We read the Ten Commandments, and of course, when we read it in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, it casts it as a seventh-day Sabbath, because that that was the context for Israel. But we need to understand that the Christian Sabbath, being on the first day of the week, is connected to the creation of the world. It's embedded in the, the, the fundamental things of this world. It's part of the moral law of God. Therefore, it does not pass away. But... For the Christian, it has moved to the first day of the week. And that is why our Sabbath, as we're still called to give God one day out of seven, particularly, that is why the Christian Sabbath provides the exact picture of what we're talking about in the gospel and in Christ. Think about it. In regards to the ceremonial law, the, the Saturday Sabbath, which involved clean and unclean and all of the rituals, and its being on the seventh day, what did it picture? It pictured the need to accomplish your righteousness before God. But the Lord's Day Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, Sunday Sabbath, it pictures the realities of the gospel. We rest on the first day of the week before we work, before we go out and work, we rest as a reminder that Jesus has accomplished all of these things for us. And so in verses 20 through 23, Paul says to submit yourself back to the ceremonial law is to trust the outward performance of man when only in Christ can we serve God in mind, body, and soul. Look at verse 23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, Right? You look at somebody who's coming into Colossae, they've got this vast system of how they're working through the ceremonial law and ways that they can sort of fit Jesus into it and here's how we deal with clean and unclean here. Here are all the things you have to do. There's an appearance of wisdom there. Wow, these, he really knows what he's talking about. All of these rituals that he wants us to do, he really knows what he's talking about. But, Paul says, it is false humility. It's harsh treatment of the body. What does it do? It lacks any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Because Paul's point, and the point of the New Testament, as you look in Christ and see the fulfillment in Christ, is that you can only be sanctified by God's grace through faith. Like we talked about last week. As you received Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. This outward conformity, the ceremonial law, It cannot accomplish what we need uh, before God. Sanctification by God's grace. As you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Do not leave the gospel. Do not leave the perfect accomplishment of Christ. This is why Paul says these are a shadow. The, The ceremonial law was a shadow of the things to come. The reality has come. When the reality comes, you don't go back to the shadow. The reality comes. You do not go back to the shadow, the precursor. Hebrews chapter 8 speaks of all of these things being a copy and a shadow of of the good things to come. Sanctification, God-glorifying obedience, it can only happen in Christ. It can only happen by faith in Christ. It can only happen through the gospel and the grace of God. And so what do we do? We cling to him. We go to the means of grace. We go to God's truth. And we ask and we trust that God is 
building us up in all of these things. We do, however, need to say that there is an abiding usefulness in all of the Bible. There is an abiding usefulness in all of God's word, all of his truth that he has given to us. And so we use these things, like Leviticus and all of the ceremonial laws that we find in scripture we use them for two basic reasons the first is to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel to confirm us in the foolishness that it would be to ever be sucked into kind of to this kind of false teaching a kind of false teaching that would say no in order to approach God you need to resubmit to all of these ceremonial laws you need to to resubmit to to all of these Jewish Old Testament laws Paul makes this point in Galatians 5. He says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Again, the Galatian false teaching was somewhat similar. They had come in and said, You need to submit to circumcision, the Old Testament ceremonial law. Paul calls that a yoke of slavery. Why would you enter back into this kind of a judgment, Paul is saying? Do you really want to try to establish your righteousness before God when you have the perfect mediator already interceding for you? Already seated at the right hand of the majesty on high? Already living for you to intercede for all of your sins? You want to abandon that to go back to circumcision and the ceremonial law, which we're all pointing to Christ anyways? Paul says that's a yoke of slavery. He says, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again, every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. Every point, every jot and tittle, every second of your life. When every second of your life, you could have a perfectly righteous Savior interceding for you before the throne, the majesty on high. Hebrews chapter 8 it's a wonderful uh, chapter. It talks about this, the abolishing of the ceremonial law. It says this, As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, uh, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it's enacted on better promises. Now again, the salvation of God has been the same through the ages. The ceremonial law was a temporary allotment to point us to Christ, to point us to the, to the doctrine of the gospel, so that we would not look for another savior, so that we would not look for another intercessor. So it confirms us in the doctrine of the gospel. It makes us thankful to have such a perfect, marvelous savior. And then finally, it regulates our lives to God's glory. We can use these things that we find in the law and the prophets, even things that have to deal with clean and unclean, so that we can take from them the true and unchanging principles about who God is, about who we are, and about what we need to regulate our lives for the glory of God. Paul does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's rebuking the Corinthians for various sins that have crept in. And he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And in there he appeals back to clean and unclean dietary restrictions. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, there's another reference, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's saying you look back to something like the Passover, and what do you do? It it should bring you to celebrate the festival of knowing 
Christ, of knowing him and serving him in sincerity and truth. So we still need all of the Bible. We need all of it, cover to cover, to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel, to regulate our life for the glory of God. But we do, we do proclaim and believe that these ceremonial laws, the Mosaic Covenant, has been accomplished in Christ. Therefore, it's been abolished. It's no longer binding upon us. And we give thanks for that, for Christ has perfected the way uh, that we approach our great and holy and marvelous God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the perfect work of Christ, and we pray that by your Spirit you would keep us in his perfect work, trusting in it, thankful for it, thankful for all that he does for us. We pray that you would bless us now in our week, that we would live for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.